Will you please pray with me? God, we give you thanks for the gifts of this day, for reminders of who we are and whose we are. Fill our hearts with a word that will strengthen us for the journey and a word that will move us deeper into living as your people. Amen. So I am not afraid of heights, but I am afraid of falling. In fact, it's my greatest phobia. Twice now, I have turned away from reaching the top of the trail at Hanging Lake. This is a short but a steep hiking trail in Glenwood Canyon that offers rewarding views at the top. I know this because I've hiked to the lake in the summer months with no problems. So when I was spending Christmas with my family in the area and my brother suggested that we hike to the lake and to check it out in the winter landscape, I thought it was a great idea. That is, until getting to the top. So to reach the lake, the last part of the trail turns into a staircase of rocks. And the higher you go, the more exposed you are as there is a sheer drop-off that opens up to one side. So there are guardrails in place to, keep, to protect you from falling, but the last few steps require that you let go of the railing and as you finish climbing, that you have to finish climbing the, up the rocks to the top. The railing has this gap that is from the bottom, from the ground, to the first um, rail. And all I could think of as the trail was a little more slippery in the snow, all I could imagine is that I would lose my footing, that I would slip under the guardrail, and I would fall off the cliff. It was a totally irrational thought. It was highly unlikely that would happen. But the fear was real enough to me that I decided that my experience would be much more enjoyable through pictures. Everyone else made it just fine. We're in our final Sunday of our series on the temptations of Jesus. For four Sundays, we followed Jesus being led into the wilderness, where his identity and his call is being tested and forged. Today, in his third and final temptation, Jesus is taken to Jerusalem, to the pinnacle of the temple, where his trust in God's love is tested and where the echoes of some of the Israelites' deepest fears are voiced. As Jesus is perched on the heights of this holy house of worship, the devil says to him, throw yourself down from here. If you are the Son of God, God will command angels to protect you. In other words, prove that you are God's beloved, that God will keep you safe. Let God rescue you. Jesus answered him, do not put the Lord your God to the test, remembering the 40 years that God's people spent wandering in the wilderness this testing Jesus is referring to is the reference to the incident at Massa. When arriving at their camp, the Israelites were faced with a lack of water. They had left one hard place for it only to become harder. 
And so they quarreled with Moses. And Moses pleads with God. And God instructs Moses to go on ahead and take the staff in which he used to part the Reed Sea. And that he would find God standing at a rock in Horeb. And there he is to strike this rock. Water will come out of it. And everyone may drink. What's striking is that in the place in the wilderness where God's people quarreled with God, that Moses ends up naming this place not after this miraculous body of water that comes to quench their thirst. He calls this place Massa and Meribah. These are descriptors that in their very meaning mean quarreling and testing. Moses memorializes this place after their questions and their doubts as people of faith who would cry out from their deepest fear, is God with us or not? In a moment of greatest need, has God abandoned God's people? Their fear is that when everything is falling apart, where is God This is a good question for us to ask in these wilderness days, in the midst of harshness and emptiness, is God really present at all? In the middle of our muddles and messes and major disappointments, is God there? The people who will come to be known as Israel are not presented in this story as meek and submissive. They are willing to voice their fears and their doubts. In their quarreling with God, they are calling God to action. God seems almost to forget about the people's needs, but God responds with compassion and grace and creativity when the people most loudly protest. And out of a lifeless rock, God chooses to bring water and the life it symbolizes and will impart. Out of the wilderness, out of our wildernesses, God will find ways to make life flow in unexpected ways. But it will require a certain amount of trust from the people, a willingness to put a faith in a God who seems to be not doing things in the typical way. Just as Jesus is child of God and child of humanity, Jesus knows these trials the same as you and I. This is a Christ who will later know what it feels like, what it means to be abandoned, who will plead with God in the garden to let the cup pass from him, and who will cry out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Cole Arthur Riley in her book, This Here Flesh, writes on one of the most common commandments in the Bible, do not fear. And while some have interpreted this to be an an indictment on those who are afraid, as if saying fear signifies a more or a less robust faith, Cole writes that God is not criticizing us for being afraid in a world haunted by so many terrors and traumas. I hear don't be afraid, and I hope that it is not a command not to fear, but rather the nurturing voice of a God drawing near to our trembling. 
I hear these words and imagine God in all tenderness cradling her creation. This requires trust and a trust that is mutual. God and God's people are working out their trust with one another as if they're working out their divine human relationship. Healthy relationships that are able to endure through the highs and through the lows thrive on this sense of mutual trust. Building this trust is hard in a relationship is hard work. It's complicated, it's complex. It opens us up to vulnerability and it's fragile. It takes great courage to trust. We can work hard and we can build trust for years in a relationship and it can be broken in an instant. Just one word or one simple deed can shatter it, causing disappointments and sometimes deep, deep hurt. And yet, God has not chosen to relate to the world by force or by manipulation or control. God chooses trust. We often don't think of God as needing to be courageous, but sometimes I wonder if it takes courage for God to stay in relationship with the world, just as it takes courage for each of us to stay in relationship with God. We know that God is grieved to the heart by wrongdoings, by places of brokenness, by human evil, as the flood story in Genesis tells us. We have already experienced great disappointments, and we know that more pain lies ahead. Everyone and everything seemingly in this world is passing away when we don't know, some soon, some later. And we wonder what kind of way is this for God to be in relationship with the world and with us. A way that is inevitably fraught with so much disappointment and pain on both sides. This is the very way of love, that mutual trust is the only environment in which love is wholly free to act. It is the only environment in which love is free to act for our good. Three times, Jesus was tempted to abandon his humanity. Three times, Jesus is told to let go of God's trust. Three times, Jesus refuses. Jesus leaves the wilderness to begin his ministry, one that trusts that God is in relationship with the world. A ministry that will challenge the status quo and lead not through power, but through love. One that will be with us in our pain and our discomfort. A ministry that will proclaim a divine love that will never let us go. This is where we can put our trust. Amen.